الله أكبر الله أكبر أشهد أن لا إله إلا الله أشهد أن لا إله إلا الله أشهد أن محمد رسول الله أشهد أن محمد رسول الله حيا للصلاة حيا على الصلاة حيا على الفلاح حيا على الفلاح الله أكبر الله أكبر لا إله إلا الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله أما بعد my dear brothers and sisters in Islam, السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته. I begin with a reminder that you and I should have taqwa in Allah, which means that we should be conscious of Allah, we should fear Allah, and we should protect ourselves from Allah's punishment. As he tells us in the Quran, يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا اتَّقُوا اللَّهَ حَقَّ تُقَاتِهِ وَلَا تَمُوتُنَّ إِلَّا وَأَنْتُمْ مُسْلِمُونَ he says, O oh, you who believe, have taqwa in Allah, as he's worthy of having taqwa in. And do not allow yourself to pass except that you're in a state of Islam, or a state of loving submission to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And on this blessed day of Jum'ah, when our salawat are shown to our beloved master Muhammad, 
And in this still pivotal and difficult moment for the Ummah of our beloved Master, we ask Allah to send and shower upon him an abundance of peace and prayers. Allahumma salli wa sallim ala Sayyidina Muhammad. Allahumma salli wa sallim ala Sayyidina Muhammad. Allahumma salli wa sallim wa barik wa an'am ala Habibina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'een. Near the end of the Prophet's time in Mecca, our beloved Messenger Muhammad went through a period of time that is known in the seerah as Amul Huzn, the year of grief. The Sahaba said about this period that we did not see the Rasul smile during this time. Now in general, the Sahaba would say we wouldn't see anyone smile more than Muhammad But it was such a weighty year for him, والسلام, that they said the opposite about him in this time period. And there were reasons why. This is right after the boycott, or a little bit after the boycott that lasted around three years. And the boycott claimed indirectly the lives of the two most important people to the Prophet Personally, it claimed the life of his uncle Abu Talib, who had been a father figure to him and was protecting him politically. He was his passport, he was his citizenship to Mecca. The reason why Muhammad could continue to preach without direct attempts on his life was that Abu Talib continued to protect him and Quraysh had to respect that tribal leadership. And then it also claimed the life of his beloved wife, our mother Khadija, radiallahu anha, who was his greatest support internally. That the Rasul ran back to her when the revelation came. And at every stage during the Meccan period, Khadija would finance him, she would support him emotionally, she would support him um, spiritually, she would be there for him at every stage. And the Prophet lost them both. And now he knows, since his protection is gone, he knows I have to find another solution for myself. So as you all know, he tries the closest city, he tries Ta'if. And instead of getting the response that he wants, he ends up being mocked and stoned out of the city. Stoned out of the city. And our beloved messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam says about that day, he was asked once by Aisha radiallahu anha, this is in Medina. She asked him, Ya Rasulullah, have you ever known of a day darker or more difficult for you than the day of Uhud? He said, yes, it was the day of Aqaba, which is what he called the day of Ta'if. He said, on that day, I went to the three chieftains of Ta'if, the sons of Amr, and they didn't respond the way I wanted them to respond. He didn't give her more elaborate details than that. But he did say, I, found, I didn't know when I left Ta'if, I didn't know where I was until I found myself in the plains outside of Ta'if, and I was in a state of shock and grief. This is how our beloved Messenger وسلم, describes his own state to Aisha in this moment. His political protection is gone, his spiritual protection or his emotional support is gone. Quraysh is now bearing down on him. You can imagine the way Muhammad وسلم, must have been feeling. The bulk of his followers, few as they were, had already left to Abyssinia. Maybe you had three dozen Muslim men left in, in Mecca still. Maybe. And so you find the Rasul feeling 
the world must be getting constricted. And he begins to look for other outlets. He begins with Abu Bakr. When the Hajj season comes, he begins to go around tribe by tribe, asking them, who will take me in? And he's only able to find a few poor people from Yathrib at the time, who are at least willing to listen to him. You can imagine how he was feeling. It was in this moment, our ulama tell us, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave our beloved messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam the greatest miracle given to him personally. The Qur'an is the, mir- the greatest miracle of Muhammad qat'iyan. It's the clear miracle of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The Qur'an, the Prophet sallallahu said, he said, it is my greatest miracle and because of it, I have hope, meaning he knows, that on the day of judgment, his ummah will be the greatest. So the Qur'an is the greatest miracle. But the greatest miracle that was given to Muhammad himself was the journey of Al-Isra wal-Ma'raj, the night journey from Mecca to the Holy Land in Jerusalem, and then the ascension through the seven heavens up to the meeting with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and then the trip back down and back from Jerusalem to Mecca. All happening in a night, all happening in a span where Aisha says that when the Prophet got back, he reported that his bed was still warm. His body hadn't left the bed long enough for it to get cold. It was still warm. In another narration, it says the latch on the door was still swinging when he came back. Allah had changed the rules of time and space for Muhammad such that he went and came back almost in a blink of an eye. And we know of a lot of details of this journey, but just to recount a few, we know that our beloved messenger Muhammad says that Jibreel came and opened up his heart again, just as he did when he was a boy. And he washed it in water. And then placed it back in his heart, in his chest. And then Muhammad then was taken from the Kaaba to Jerusalem on a steed called Buraq. That our beloved Messenger teaches us other prophets had ridden in the past. This was not a new creation made for Muhammad. This was something used prior. And he described how Buraq would move. He says, with every time it would extend its front legs, he would reach. The distance my eye can see, he would reach the horizon. And that's how he got so quickly from Mecca to Jerusalem. And then he dismounts. He prays two rak'at in that holy, blessed land in Jerusalem. And he finds the entirety of all the prophets, 124,000 long, praying behind him. And then he ascends through the seven heavens. At every level, two things happen. One, at every level, there's a guardian at the door. When Jibreel knocks on the door, the guardian asks, Who are you? He says, I am Jibreel. They say, Who is with you? He says, Muhammad ibn Abdullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And they say, The guardian says, I have been commanded only to open the door for Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Seven times that happens. And at every level, he meets a prophet of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He meets Adam. He meets Yahya and Isa. He meets Yusuf. He meets Harun. He meets Musa. He meets Ibrahim alayhi wa sallam jami'an. And then he enters in by himself. Not even Jibreel can go in. He alone is allowed to enter in to the meeting with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he has this conversation with Allah that goes back and forth. And then he comes down. On the way back down, he sees heaven. He sees hell with all of its trappings around it. He sees heaven with all of its challenges around it. He sees hell with all of its sweet allurements around it. He sees the punishment of tyrants and murderers and thieves. And he sees the, ro- the rewards of the righteous as he's coming on his way back down. 
Now I open with this because we, we are living in a moment, as we've been discussing now for more than three months, where it's easy as a Muslim, it's easy to feel the world is constricting on us. It's easy to feel that every source of power, every body of power, seems to want to put us under their boot. You have just overnight our brothers and sisters in Pakistan coming out in droves to elect a leader only to find in the morning, according to all the reports that are independently observing, it seems clearly evident that they rigged the election when they saw that they were about to lose. You see what's been happening in Gaza, where the entirety of the world's powers are focused on this small strip. Does it not feel at times? You see this morning, our brothers and sisters in Jordan going out to the crossing with Israel, trying to block the aid from traveling from Jordan into Israel. The Ummah trying to rise up even though its powers don't want to stand up. The Ummah trying to stand up and everyone trying to put us down. Do we not feel constricted at times? Do we not perhaps feel like it's hopeless at times? Look at your beloved messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He went through this too. And in that moment Allah gave him this miracle. The ulama say specifically, specifically as a reminder to him who was in his corner, what he was doing this for, and to never give up hope or worry about what it looks like. Ya Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, you're worried that I gave Quraysh some rulership over Mecca? Look at how vast my power is. As our Prophet says in another hadith, he says if you were to take the arsh of Allah, the footstool of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if you were just to take that and compare it to the seven heavens, the seven heavens are like a ring flown in the desert. And every heaven, every sky, every layer of reality is that much bigger than the layer before it. Meaning, the samawat of the dunya, the, the creation that we know of, is like the ring in a desert of just the second creation. And that second creation is like a ring in the desert of the third, and so on and so forth. Are you worried about me giving them some power for a period of time over Gaza? Are you worried about that? Look at how much power I have. Look at how much creation I have. Why did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala put our beloved Messenger وسلم, on the buraq? Why did He do that? It was to signify to him, Ya Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, you don't know all of my creation. When I will, I can unleash sources of power that you won't even know exist yet. And at a point, it will seem now that you can't move quickly enough. How long would it have taken him to travel from Mecca to Jerusalem in those days? It might take a few hours by plane today. How long would it have taken him? And yet Allah did it so quickly. And not through some miracle. He didn't just transport him by saying, Qun No, he had him ride a steed to tell him, I can turn things on that I haven't turned on yet. And you see how quickly the Buraq moved? Is that not how quickly the Ummah of Muhammad expanded after Fatah Mecca? In the last year, year and a half of the Prophet's life, the entire Hijaz became Muslim. 11 years, or 20 something years of the Prophet struggling with small gains. And then after Fatah Mecca, it's like a floodgate opening. And then after his death, how quickly did Umar and Abu Bakr radiallahu anhumah expand the ummah of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam as if they were riding a steed that they didn't have before. Just as Burak's hoof reached the horizons, in a generation, in less gener generation, Abu Bakr and Umar took the ummah of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam from Mecca and Medina to the, the whole world's map. 
was rewritten by Abu Bakr and Umar Most of us in this room are Muslim because of what Abu Bakr and Umar did in those few years. Allah was telling the Prophet Sallallahu you may feel constricted now. Don't worry, I'm going to unleash powers. At one moment, I'm going to turn it and you're going to see the floodgates open. He was telling Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, you might feel like your followers are small. I said he had a few dozen followers left in Mecca. And then he leads a prayer in Jerusalem of 120 some odd thousand men. And they're not just any men. They're the greatest men of creation. As if to signify to him, Ya Muhammad, the nations of the world will come behind you. They will all follow you. And is that not the case today? Is the ummah not made up of people from all over the world? Muhammad Wasallam, at that moment in time could barely muster up 50 people from his own tribe. And now look at this ummah. In this own audience today, how many different nations are represented? How many different peoples are represented? Allah was telling our beloved messenger وسلم, do not worry about the constriction, it's going to move. Allah was telling the Prophet, your people are mocking you, they're putting you down, but I want you to know in the heavens your name rings out. And he made sure of that when every single guardian of every single layer of creation said, by name, I have been allowed to open the door only to Muhammad Muhammad, your people are mocking you. Know the angels in the heaven know your name, O Muhammad. Do not worry about them mocking you on earth when you have these magnificent creations of Allah praising you. As Allah says in the Quran, Inna Allah wa malaikatuhu yasalluna ala nabi. Does Allah not say that? Allah and His angels send peace and prayers upon the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So Allah was telling the Prophet, He was consoling him. He was caring for him. And there is an inherent message for you and I in this. And that is, in every difficult moment, O Ummah of Muhammad, O nation of Muhammad, no, remember, don't let the constraints of the world cause you to forget who has ultimate control. They have control over Gaza today, they won't have it tomorrow. And their control is so limited. They may have control over the people of Jordan today, but it's so limited. It's hanging on by a thread. They have to fake and lie in Pakistan to win elections. Don't worry. Their control is so limited. Allah, to Allah belongs the treasures of the heavens and the earth. He has it all. What are you worried about? All you need to do is keep doing what Allah told you to do. Allah will unlock His power when He wants to unlock it. Allah was also telling you and I, though very importantly, that He actually cares about the emotions of His believers. He cares about the way we feel. Allah didn't have to do all this consoling for our beloved Messenger Muhammad I'll do you one better. Allah didn't have to put him through the difficulty to begin with. Allah could have made His message spread like wildfire from day one, but He didn't do that. Because there's something inherent in the creation of man this beautiful creation that Allah loves so much, that Allah is so proud of, that He, be- he boasts about us to the angels. There's something unique about us. This will is unique. This soul is unique. And in order for the soul to reach the heights that it needs to reach, quite often the soul needs to be put to tests. And those tests will create emotional constrictions. They'll create pain. They'll create anxiety and apprehension. They'll create khashya. They will. But then Allah comes with His consoling message of the Qur'an. 
Allah comes with the sunnah of our beloved Messenger وسلم, because in that consoling, we're able to then process these feelings of fear and anxiety and worry and frustration in a manner that pleases Him, that gives us resolve, that deepens our faith. As Allah says in the Quran about the battle of Al-Khandaq, He says about the Sahaba, when people came to them and said, all of the people have gathered against you, you should fear them. And what did they say? We've only been increased in Iman. Because the promise of Allah SWT rang true. The Sahaba on that day of the trench, they felt this anxiety and this fear. But it produced this deeper resolve of Iman. We're also reminded by Allah that every time He sends us a difficulty, He's going to send us signs that give us hope. That remind us of this reality. And have we not been seeing that? I've already mentioned, yes, the powers of our ummah the political powers that are on top of us, that Allah has willed are on top of us, seem to be doing all they can to help the, sla the, the slaughter of our babies in Gaza. And yet, this ummah does not stop calling out. When I saw the video of our brothers in Jordan moving to that crossing, my heart swelled with pride. This ummah cannot be defeated, walhamdulillah. We have traitors on our thrones and we still cannot be defeated, walhamdulillah. Is this not a sign of hope? When's the last time the ummah felt this united? From east to west, the whole ummah, clear, together, on a united stance. This evil, we will never forget. We may not have the power to stop it now, we'll never forget it. We're not going back to where it was pre-October 7th. The world has changed. You can ignore us if you want, but the world has changed. In this very country, when is the last I have never seen in this country Muslims stand up to the political power the way that they are right now? Where both sides of the political aisle are calling us all the nasty, vile things they want to call us and we're still standing firm. You can say what you want. I don't care what comes. This man supporting a genocide will not get our vote unwarranted. He's not going to get it. You're not going to get free willy-nilly meetings with us anymore. You're not going to get the photo ops with us anymore. We're not here to just be your footstool anymore. When's the last time you saw the Muslim community in America stand up like that? Is this not a sign of hope? Alhamdulillah. Is Allah not showing us our own strength? He is. Has Allah not been showing us these trends on TikTok and Instagram of people, of the world apart from Gaza saying, where is this iman coming from? And opening up the Quran and coming to Islam. I saw a video not too long ago of a young person who's labeled themselves of having transitioned in their gender, saying, I am now a Muslim. The Quran has opened my heart. Is this not a sign of Allah's great strength? In the midst of the, one of the worst tragedies I have lived through in my life, Allah is opening up and unlocking hearts of this world all over. Is He not showing us all these great miracles yet again? And then on the way back down, Allah showed Muhammad Wasallam the ultimate reality. Yes, Muhammad Wasallam, you have lost people on this path and you're going to lose more people on this path. There will be people with you today who do not live to see your success, O Muhammad Wasallam. But don't worry. On the way back down, he saw Jannah and Jahannam. And he saw all of these people who like to oppress and kill and murder and steal and lie and thieve. All of them, they run into the hellfire following its allurements. And those who stand firm and stick with Allah 
and put up with the pain that comes in this dunya when you're trying to be righteous, they run into Jannah without even knowing that that's what they're doing. So don't worry, O Muhammad. And this world will give you the success. But more importantly than that, keep your eye focused on the prize. All of our brothers and sisters who have been murdered in Gaza, they are in a beautiful place, walhamdulillah. And you've all seen these videos more than I have, I'm sure. Of our brothers and sisters in Gaza saying as they're burying the dead, I've never smelt such a sweet smell of musk coming out of the bodies. These were bodies that were buried under the rubble. My dear brothers, please move up as much as you can. Make space. Allah will make space for you in a gathering much better than this, inshallah. These were bodies buried under the rubble for days in some instances. And before that, unable to shower for Allah knows how long. Every physical reason possible would say these bodies should smell. An in, unenjoyable smell. And our brothers and sisters are sending us videos saying, I cannot believe, it's like they're dripping musk, walhamdulillah. They're in a much better place. Our pain is because we see the evil. Our pain is because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has left our hearts alive when you see the dead bodies of babies with their heads unable to be controlled. Yes, we're going to feel pain. But that baby is flying in the heights of Jannah right now, walhamdulillah. Never forget that, O Muhammad, and never forget that, O Ummah of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Allah's might, Allah's might is grand. And when He wants, He will reveal it. Don't let the constraints of the world cause you to forget. Alhamdulillah. And if your heart is open, if your heart is open to them, you will see the signs that Allah puts in your path. Inna With every difficulty, there are many eases. One of the interpretations is, in the midst of your difficulty, Allah will send you breezes of ease. And some of them I've already mentioned. The last one I want to mention before I go to break though. You know, if you've ever, if you have ever been tested with a life-threatening illness, or a family member tested with a life-threatening illness, or Allah has tested you with some serious poverty or bankruptness, one thing you might have noticed is that the clarity in your heart about who you are and who Allah is, is always much greater in those moments than they are at other moments in your life. Meaning one of the sources of ease that come with a difficulty for a believer is that his or her heart is completely renewed. They remember, why am I here? I'm here for Allah. And when you're in a state of pain, of loss, of fear, you run back to Allah the way you're supposed to. You know many of the ulama, they say, the greatest doorway to enter into Allah is the doorway of bankruptcy. Where you come to Allah with a complete recognition, Ya Allah, I have nothing but you. Everything I have is from you. And if I want anything, it's from you. And it's only by your power I'm going to get anything. Ya Allah, I'm in complete need of you, 100%. I have nothing of my own. When you enter through that doorway, your dua are answered. Your closeness to Allah tastes very different. There is a source of clarity in the ummah today that I have not seen in my lifetime. Walhamdulillah. The masajid are filled, filled with young people coming back to Allah. I mentioned this last Friday. One of the common questions we get so often now is, how do I make up salah for years that I wasn't praying? Walhamdulillah. This is a sign of just how many people are finally coming back to this religion. Because Allah has put circumstances on the earth that has forced this ummah to renew its commitment to its Lord.
ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا اما بعد you know there's one other very important lesson from the journey of the Isra and the Mi'raj that we would be remiss not to mention again and again and again you know we're told in our tradition both in the Quran and the Sunnah we're told of two different times that Allah commanded a prophet to pray one is here in Isra and Mi'raj the other is we're told about when Allah commanded Musa alayhi salam to pray and in both of these instances there's no intermediary there's just Allah Jalla wa'ala and the Prophet either Musa or Muhammad and in both cases Allah did this for a reason He did it to signify there is no intermediary between the Abd of Allah and Allah when you are standing up in your prayer in fact some of the ulama say Allah did the Isra and Mi'raj in part to tell the Prophet I know you're feeling pain I know you're feeling constricted Look to the salah. Go back to your prayers. And then he made the five daily prayers of fard. As some of the ulama say, when commenting on this reality, they say, Yunus alayhi salam, when he was in the belly of that whale, or that grand fish, and he was in sajda, what does Allah say about that moment? He says he was in multiple layers of darkness. He was under the ocean, deep in the ocean, where the light no longer reaches, and he was in the belly of this fish, making sajda, they say Yunus alayhi salam was closer to Allah then in that belly, in sajda, than Jibreel alayhi salam is when he's at Sidrat al-Muntaha, when he's at that final doorway before the throne of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Meaning, when you and I stand up to pray in a minute and we go into sajda, you can be back just as close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was. Allah is telling you and I, you will find my closeness in your sujood. Pray, pray, pray. If you're feeling that constriction, pray. If you're having a difficulty, forget about the difficulties of the ummah. If you are in a state of personal constriction, go back to your salah. It will open your hearts in ways you cannot fathom. When you come to the Allah in that broken state, in sajda, you will come up with a lighter feeling in your heart. Especially if Allah gives you that opening that reduces you to tears, where you're very aware, Ya Allah, I need you, I need you, I need you. And then you pour your heart out to Him. You will come up from that sajda, and it'll be as if Allah lifted a weight off of your chest. We can relive this closeness anytime we want. What it requires is that we reorganize, reorient our hearts in a state of need of Allah, and then we pray as He commanded us to pray. We will find our peace. We will find our solace. We will find our resolve and our sabr in that sajda. May Allah make us from the sajideen. Oh Allah, all thanks and praise are due to you until you are pleased with us. And all thanks and praise are due to you if you become pleased with us. Ya Allah, forgive us our sins and accept from us our repentance. Ya Allah, we ask of you jannah and we seek refuge in you from the hellfire. Oh Allah. Please send an abundance of peace and prayers upon our beloved messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. O you who turns the hearts, keep a heart steadfast on Islam and on Iman. Ya Allah, make beloved to us everything that is beloved to you. And make hated to us everything that is hated to you. Ya Allah, be with our brothers and sisters in Gaza. Ya Allah, be with our brothers and sisters in Palestine. 
Ya Allah, be with our brothers and sisters in China. Ya Allah, be with our brothers and sisters in Pakistan and India and in Kashmir. Ya Allah, be with our brothers and sisters in Burma. Ya Allah, be with our brothers and sisters in Sudan. Ya Allah, be with our oppressed brothers and sisters everywhere they are on this earth. And let this, be a, let this community be a means of removing their suffering and not increasing them. Ya Rabbi, Ya Allah, we ask that you allow us to witness Ramadan. Ya Allah, allow us to witness Ramadan and make the most of it. وَآخُرُ دَعْوَانَ الْحَمْدُ اللَّهِ رَبِّ الْعَالَمِينَ وَأَقِمِ الصَّلَاةِ الله أكبر الله أكبر أشهد أن لا إله إلا الله أشهد أن محمد رسول الله حي على الصلاة حي على الفلاح قد قامت الصلاة قد قامت الصلاة الله أكبر الله أكبر لا إله إلا الله لا إله الله close the gaps fill out the rows all the way to the right before you start a new one Turn your heart towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and do your best to pray as if you won't get another chance to pray after this. Allahu Akbar. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Ar Rahmanir Rahim. Maliki Yawmiddin. إياك نعبد وإياك نستعين اهدنا الصراط المستقيم صراط الذين أنعمت عليهم غير المغضوب عليهم ولا الضالين آمين بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والعصر إِنَّ الْإِنسَانَ لَفِي خُسْرٍ إِلَّا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَعَمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ وَتَوَاصَوْا بِالْحَقِّ وَتَوَاصَوْا بِالصَّبْرِ اللَّهُ أَكْبَرُ سَمِعَ اللَّهُ لِمَنْ حَمِدَ اللَّهُ أَكْبَرُ Allahu Akbar Allahu Akbar Allahu Akbar Bismillahirrahmanirrahim الرحمن الرحيم مالك يوم الدين إياك نعبد وإياك نستعين اهدنا الصراط المستقيم صراط الذين أنعمت عليهم غير المغضوب عليهم ولا الضالين آمين قل هو الله أحد الله 
الصمد لم يلد ولم يولد ولم يكن له كفوا أحد الله أكبر سمع الله لمن حمد الله أكبر الله أكبر الله أكبر الله أكبر السلام عليكم ورحمة الله السلام عليكم ورحمة الله